This podcast from Teacher is supported by Bank First, the bank that exists to serve the education community. Visit bankfirst.com.au to find out how they can help you to reach your financial goals. Hello, I'm Jo Earp and welcome to another Teacher Podcast, episode 39 in our series on school improvement. My guest is Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy, Director of the ACER Institute and the Centre for School and System Improvement. Now, it's almost two years to the day since I caught up with Pauline for a podcast special where we talked about how schools had adapted to emergency remote teaching following the first COVID lockdown. As she travels across Australia working with educators and systems, I thought I'd check in with her again to see how things have changed for schools and what the priorities are now for teachers, principals and communities on the ground. So let's get started. Uh, Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy, thanks for joining me. Now, as I mentioned in the intro there, it's almost two years actually, exactly to the day since uh, our last podcast. And uh, a lot has happened since then, so I'm, look- since then, sorry. So I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with you today. Um, so first off then, schools should have, they should have a strategic plan in place. And and just to explain to people, if, if you're not a school leader, that'll have lots of key priorities in there for school improvement. So there might be something, a specific goal around literacy, for example, or professional development. Um, you work with schools across the country. How, how has the pandemic impacted the strategic plans and the targets that leaders had for improvement? Well, it's an interesting question, Joe, and thanks for the opportunity to be able to reflect a bit back on the the last two years. Uh, I think actually what we're seeing, perhaps surprisingly, is is a a sharper focus on the part of schools and systems on their improvement agenda. I think historically there's been a tendency to try and focus on everything in a strategic plan. So this is what Michael Fullen talks about about fat plans you know schools have these fat plans that are packed full of all these different things well we know that what's more effective is to have skinny plans where you focus just on a few priorities um so i think the pandemic has really forced schools to focus on keeping the main thing the main thing and i borrowed those words from from helen Timperley, but we, we like those where it's that kind of laser-like focus on on the kinds of strategies for improvement. So I really think that schools have got better at sharpening their focus um, over the period of the pandemic. That's what we see. That's interesting because, yeah, I'd not thought about that actually, but but when you're forced to do it and think, okay, I can't do everything, we can't do everything, you know, needs must, uh, like you say, you, you kind of have a different focus. That's really interesting actually that, that it's caused that. Um, so, um, Earlier this year, in episode 37 of our School Improvement podcast, um, that's in March, if uh, if listeners want to look that one up, I spoke to Judith Weir, who's principal of Our Lady of Mercy College, that's OLMC Heidelberg, um, about balancing competing priorities in terms of leadership and strategic planning. And and she raised, she raised two particularly interesting points in that and that I wanted to talk to you about. So the first is the increased importance of student well-being. 
Yeah, so student wellbeing is interesting because student wellbeing uh, more than ever is now recognised as a key factor in um, education in post or living in the COVID world. Um, I suppose notably wellbeing has always been in the uh, national school improvement tool and therefore in the evidence the importance of wellbeing has always been there and the relationship between wellbeing and engagement and academic outcomes. Um, but more recently, there's been additional empirical research conducted into that relationship, the strong relationship between well-being and engagement and academic achievement. Those studies include um, a systematic review of evidence that um, the first of its kind, actually, that links student well-being and academic achievement. And this study was conducted by ACR's Catherine Dix and her colleagues and commissioned by the evidence uh, by Evidence for Learning and Victoria Health. And that um, systematic review just maps out the evidence that, that, that really relates the relationship very closely between um, well-being and engagement and, um, and learning uh, academic achievement. Um, so we know how important it is. And actually, we're doing a, a piece of work uh, just, just uh, finished at the moment. Um, We've been involved in developing elaborations of the National School Improvement Tool uh, as they relate to student wellbeing and engagement, because recognising just how important um, uh, wellbeing and engagement is. So these elaborations are really a deeper dive into the evidence that sits um, in those nine domains of the National School Improvement Tool. And the purpose is it's a resource that these elaborations are a resource um, to help guide good practice in schools. So a deeper dive into the evidence around wellbeing to really uh, articulate those into impactful practices for schools. And this is an initiative in partnership with the Queensland Department of uh, Education and meets a clearly identified need in schools. So um, I, I think wellbeing has really come into sharp relief over, over COVID, but it was actually already there. That, that kind of uh, importance is already there. It's just been called out. And another study which I think has been really interesting is Jenny Gore and colleagues at the New, uh, University of Newcastle. They, they did a study on the impacts of COVID on learning um, and that's really well worth uh, a read. Um, but that also uh, basically the, the study confirms other studies which will say that, you know, um, most students learning wasn't overly impacted by COVID unless they were disadvantaged students and then they were in, um, exponentially impacted. But um, the issue of well-being it has raised itself as being particularly important and that relationship between well-being and learning. So, um, yeah, I think it's an increased focus. I think it's always been there. We've always known that the evidence has said it's, but it's just become more, much more evident in our faces since since COVID. Mm -hmm. And uh, and for listeners um, who are keen to look out those studies and, and take a read, I'll put the links as usual in the transcript to this podcast. Just head to teachermagazine.com and uh, search for the School Improvement Podcast and you can find the links there. Um, the other point that Judith Weir mentioned in that podcast uh, on school improvement from March was the impact of pandemic restrictions on staff. So she was saying, you know, the workload, the fatigue, and that they really had to rethink how and also when they were doing the improvement work, just, just the sheer nature of being overwhelmed by this for staff. So I, I think, I don't think anyone would argue um, 
that that teachers work hasn't intensified and become more complex during the pandemic and we see the effects we've seen the effects um, of teachers exhaustion they're trying to juggle um, online school closures illness um, one of the things you know we're currently seeing is the impact of COVID in schools just in terms of being able to have teachers in front of classes as, as more, more people are actually uh, becoming unwell um, and having to take time off um, but I do think that one of the things to understand around, you know, going back to that fat plan and skinny plan and laser-like focus, keeping the main thing the main thing, is to um, is to understand that with a laser-like improvement focus, the improvement is embedded in everything that the school does. So I think that's also related to keeping the main thing the main thing, um, and you know, it, it's probably important to think about the outstanding performance levels in the nine domains of the NSIT. Um, we talk about the high level of embeddedness in the, of those improvement strategies. So I think there's the, the dual thing. The one thing is just focusing on what's really important and on a few strategic priorities. And the other one is trying to develop that embeddedness so they become within the DNA of the school. So they're not considered to be something additional or extra. They're actually just things that that as, uh, teachers are doing as part of their day to day practice. It's not seen as something in additional. It's very embedded in their work. Mm -hmm. And and again, if we go back to that point, you were making that first point about the fat plan and the skinny plan, <laughs> you know, at schools just they, they can't do everything at once. It's like changing something in your own classroom. This is long term we're talking about, isn't it? This is long term improvement journeys. That's right. And I, th I think that's the one of the things that school tells us is one of the benefits of being able to, you know, engage with us in review services and really trying to hone in on those things that are going to have the most impact. The kind of recommendations that we pull from from a school review, so th those few things, those few strategic things that are, are really going to be first and foremost in improvement efforts. Um, and, and I think, you know, schools, as I've said before, you know, this, the fat plan is the temptation to put everything in a strategic plan that you're wanting to do rather than just have that laser like focus. We have a lovely metaphor that comes from the literature, which is to say, you know, school improvement has been characterized as a kitchen sink approach, you know, where you throw everything in and hope like we swill it around something will come out of it um or a scattergun approach we just try everything and hope that something sticks and has an impact and what we're really trying to work work towards is that really sharp laser-like focus of, of the things that are really going to make a difference and um not being distracted i guess about uh, and sometimes that's quite hard you know not being uh, distracted by things that are kind of impact on a school but really trying to keep as i say the main thing the main thing Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a help with the teacher workload and the well-being of the teachers as well. We'll bring you more of my chat with Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy after this quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Bank First. Bank First is proud to be the bank that supports your purpose. They've been financially empowering educators to realise their dreams since 1972 and understand that your passion, dedication and expertise make a real difference to people's lives. Visit bankfirst.com.au to find out how they can help you to reach your financial goals. So I'm going to play a, a snippet from our, our podcast now um, from a couple of years ago and we'll be back in a moment. Although this has been a very difficult situation, there are um, 
great benefits in it. For example, um, schools networking with each other to be able to, the possibility of schools networking with each other to offer particular subjects, for example, an understanding that a school day doesn't necessarily have to be um, from nine till three, that you could have some flexibility in the school day. So these are all things that teachers, um, and when we know schools are, are, are kind of considering. And there was um, a lovely example uh, from one of the systems we're working with, that where they're saying, well, we've turned off all of these things. Which things are we going to turn on now and why? Um, because and that's part of like system reflection as well as school reflection, things that have worked really well. Um, and I certainly think that some of the collaboration that's happened within schools and across schools has been really beneficial. And people are already thinking about ways in which they could um, use the learning that they've, they've had in recent turbulent weeks to be able to plan for their students better and have better infrastructure maybe and better skills in their teachers to be able to offer a curriculum more flexibly. So I wanted to return to that two years on there then. Uh, as you get back into schools, as I say, you're travelling across Australia now, working with school leaders and teachers, what's changed for them in terms of the way they're working now, in particular that phrase, you know, what we're going to switch off and what we're going to turn back on again and why? Well, I think just at this particular point in time, schools are really experiencing the effect uh, of another wave of COVID just on staff um, being able to be in schools at the moment. You know, we've we've seen a lot of schools with a, a large amount of staff actually absent because of because of illness. But where we can see potential, I suppose, is again relating back to where schools are being more deliberate in their focus about learning and and progress. So. One of those things are, I think, you know, teachers were catapulted into using various different technologies for learning. You know, sometimes, you know, not having any experience of that and trying to cap capitalise on some of those things. So we're seeing um, probably a forced, um, but a, a forced uh, use of technology um, ha has having benefits for for schools as well about how how um, students might engage with different kinds of learning platforms, for example, to be able to provide different ways than just face-to-face -face for learning. So I think that's something really important. I think um, what we're seeing evidence of as well is that, um, as I say, really trying to focus on, on the most important things. Um, so perhaps, you know, uh, the main focus of learning, the really thinking about learning progress. I think teachers were, were um, because of lockdowns and perhaps doing remote teaching, could become very focused on individual learning progress in a way that might get a little bit lost in a in a face to face classroom. So we're seeing some evidence of that in some of the schools that we work with. Um, Yet certainly some of um, the uh, independent schools, for example, and those who are in um, more remote areas, where ways of sharing resources um, to be able to use technology to teach classes and, and broaden the curriculum. So, you know, teacher um, teachers teaching out of field or shortage of teachers in particular areas, people have thought a little bit differently about how they might um, uh, collaborate with other schools and within networks to still offer a curriculum, but in a, in a more flexible way, particularly in the upper grades of, of school, um, where they might not have been able to do that before. So we're seeing some of that too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, and just going back to that collaboration aspect then, we talked about that in other podcasts and articles and, and many things that we've done at Teacher, that, you know, all this expertise exists within a school and across schools as well, but we kind of tend to keep it to ourselves because we just get on with our own job sometimes because we're so flat out that, you know, that that's all we can see in front of us. And is, is that what you're finding that, you know, because things were stressed to such a point that you know we could no longer just do everything ourselves we had to think oh I've got people around me actually that can help with this and 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 that's improved collaboration within schools but also across schools and with school leaders is that something again that you're seeing within schools collaboration? Yeah I I think we are seeing some evidence of that but also mindful that at the moment you know sometimes it's just a a question of having enough teachers in front of classes to Mm -hmm. be able to run programs at the moment but we are we're certainly seeing evidence of that and not just around teaching but also around perhaps some of the services that um, you know we've gone from you know in our in our own lives going from visiting a GP to telehealth for example and the the um, opportunities that provides potentially to bring services into a community particularly if they're more remote community in ways that they might not have considered before because that's become normalized through through COVID like telehealth is one thing but if you think about you know those kind of wraparound services for schools that um, no longer is geography considered the only way of getting of, of getting those services into schools as well to be able to support students and teachers. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're seeing a little bit more of that, more imagination around that, perhaps more flexibility around that because of just like we've seen in our health service, more flexibility in that because that's the only way we can actually deliver those services. So I think that's been a there's been more imagination around that to be able to to help with schools. Mm-hmm. But from what you've been saying today, certainly the pressure's just still on very much for a lot of schools out there. And I guess that's going to be a mixed picture in terms of who's been hit by the latest waves. And, and then obviously that causes staffing shortages. So we shouldn't expect too much then. That's what I'm thinking from from the next few months. Yeah, that's right. I think it's just everyone trying to keep um, their heads above water again. Just when we think we, we've sort of... Uh, ridden one way fairly successfully then we get hit with another one I think so we're just in that particular um, environment at the moment and I I do think you know just the the length of time that this has gone on it's just that 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 just contributes to kind of fatigue and exhaustion but I'm still super impressed every time we go and work with systems in schools about the enthusiasm Um, we're working with a a number of new systems uh, this year the enthusiasm that people bring to this is is well, quite amazing, really, you know, teachers are a very, and, and schools, school principals, very resilient bunch, you know, passionate about learning. <laughs> so we see that too. Yeah, unbelievable resilience from the education sector over the last couple of years and always has been, actually. Um, so really, that, that brings me to my final point then about about the research side of things, that there's probably going to be so much we don't know in terms of the impact and that's going to be ongoing. But um, what do we know from some of the research that's also that that's already sorry taken part about the impact of the pandemic on on school staff, but also on on students as well? Yeah, so I mentioned before um, Jenny Gore and colleagues work from the University of Newcastle. I mean, I think one of the things around COVID was that people were kind of predicting and trying to link previous kind of situations 
um, to, to the pandemic. And it's been interesting uh, now to see perhaps more rigorous empirical research come out to see what the actual impacts have been. Some of the work we've done at ACR, we've, we've been involved in many studies about what, you know, what the likely thing would be, would happen. You know, we've done some reports for government. Um, we did an evidence-based framework very early on in the piece for schools to be able to respond to remote teaching situations. Um, and we've also produced, you know, um, uh, policy frameworks, but internationally, um, you know, to be able to respond, to think about different areas of response in low, medium, low and, and actually no tech environments. So I think what we're going to see now and what's going to be really important is those is those really strong empirical studies that show particular impacts in particular contexts. And um, there, are, there are a number of those that are emerging, as I say, in, in, in Australia now and just researching this and also, you know, we don't have an awful lot of evidence around the impact on on well-being, like the long-term um, impacts of well-being, or even about school uh, engagement or, or or attendance at school. We don't we don't have those those uh, that evidence yet, because there was concern that you know during school closures, etc., you know some students disappear and then they never re-engage with education again. But I must say that education systems have been very diligent around trying to um, re-engage and have strategies to, to re-engage hard to reach students and families where that has occurred. So that was part of the impetus, I think, to do the um, elaborations of the NSIT certain debt project with Queensland. And we're getting a lot of interest about that from um, different jurisdictions across Australia. So. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of research to come on this and the impact. Well, it's been it's been fascinating catching up with you today again, uh, Professor Pauline Taylor Guy. It's always great to catch up with you. I'm hoping that we don't leave it until 2024, May 2024, if we go by our timetable that we've had so far. <laughs> Best of luck with the work that you're doing, and uh, thanks again for joining us at Teacher. That's all for this episode. If you want to keep listening, you can access the 200 plus episodes already in our archive. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you can keep up to date with our latest episodes. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could rate and review us. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by Bank First the bank that exists to serve the education community. Visit bankfirst.com.au to find out how they can help you to reach your financial goals.